0: We occasionally have had some visitors stop by the parsonage. And occasionally when those visitors stop, they leave a booklet. And in one of their booklets entitled The Word, Who is he according to John, they say, and I quote, Since Jesus Christ as the word of God occupies a position held by no other creation of God, we can appreciate what the Apostle John wrote in John 1.1. And the word was a God. End of quote. If you followed the news some this week, you found that there was some debate and some pretty strong words said concerning an organization dropping their support or giving money to Planned Parenthood. And because of the criticism and all that took place in yesterday's paper, they dropped their plan to drop Planned Parenthood, and they went back to going to contribute some money to Planned Parenthood as it relates to breast cancer and testing for breast cancer. A number of weeks ago, as we looked at Mark chapter 5, we discussed the fact that Christ there cast out a legion of demons. And that led to some response on your part, which as I was sensitive to the spirit, wanted to discuss just the demonic in our world today. How the demonic might work, and then how we should respond. And obviously, a vital part of responding to that is Christ and the body of Christ, and that's why we sang what we did a few moments ago. But I want to look at several passages this morning that tie in with the demonic. Is there demonic in our world today? Let's go to 1 John, the book of 1 John. And we'll go to chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. And as we turn to 1 John chapter 4, keep in mind that books are written with a purpose, with a reason. And 1 John was written, according to chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. So first, John has something to do with complete joy. Chapter 5 and verse 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. John is responding in what he writes so that there can be confidence in knowing that one has eternal life, a relationship with God, a relationship with Jesus Christ. In that context, John gives a series of tests whereby we may know that we have eternal life. We want to look at chapter 4 and begin reading with verse 1. Chapter 4 and verse 1. Dear friends, Writing to those who claim Christ, and he clearly says, Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Why? Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Remember, A little while back, talking to someone in the old church building in the vestibule. And in the course of the conversation, they were convincing me certain things about Christ as it relates to the future. And I said, Let's just pause a moment. I have a question for you. I said, Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? response. Yes, he was the first creation of God. I said, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to God? You repent of sin and trust in Christ, and it's through him that there can be a relationship with God. Would not answer me. I repeated my question. Do you believe that Jesus Christ, through repentance and faith, is the way to have a relationship with God? And Again, they wouldn't answer me, and I repeated my question a third time. I'm just asking for a yes or no answer, I said. And they said, yes, but. I said, what do you mean, but? Well, we believe in Jesus, but now we must do all these other things. They already owned up to the fact that they did not believe that Jesus Christ is deity. He's the first creation of God. They admitted the fact that a relationship with God, eternal life, is not through faith and faith alone. In Christ, the work of Christ was not sufficient. I knew immediately I'm dealing with a false prophet. I'm dealing with someone whos antichrist. anti-Christ. They're against Christ. Kindly and lovingly, I said... I know little Greek, I'm not a Greek scholar, but let's go to John chapter three. And I quoted John 3:16 through18, "For God so loved the world," and so on. I said, "Now I understand the Greek to say here that it's an issue of faith in what Christ has done." We talked a little bit longer, and finally they just left. Lo and behold, they sent someone else around that wanted to talk to me. And I said, I'm willing to talk to you. I can't talk to you today. I'm willing to talk to you in the future, but we can only discuss one subject, Jesus. Who is he? And we can only use one Bible. It's got to be the King James Version. And two men came and we talked quite extensively. And by the time they left... They were convinced I was a heretic. But I knew that they were of the Antichrist. They were against Christ. There was demonic involved. John clearly says, test the spirits to see whether they are from God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how we recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come And the flesh is from God, but every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. Do we stop and realize as you compare this passage with 1 Timothy chapter 4, 1 through 5, where those who forbid marriage, those who forbid certain foods and so on, that we're dealing with teachings of the demonic, those who are against Christ. We live in a world that is, to a large extent, under the control of Satan, as we found in previous weeks, and there's going to be false teachers. The key question is, what does a teacher communicate concerning Christ? Spirits are in the world that are of the Antichrist. They're against Christ. Christ. What is true of Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormonism, Islam, Buddhism, and many other teachings that come floating down the world or in our world today. Have we stopped to consider that we're dealing with demonic when false teachings are present now let's go to another passage that ties in with demonic Revelation chapter 10 Revelation chapter 10 now while you're turning to chapter 10 please understand that the book of Revelation is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Revelation 1, 1 says, the revelation of Jesus Christ. We're dealing with the unveiling of Jesus Christ. If you want to know what Christ is like, at least to some extent, read the Gospels, but don't stop with the Gospels. Read the book of Revelation. The revelation, the unveiling of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. It's the unveiling of Christ as it relates to future events from the time period in which John was writing. And in Revelation chapter, did I say 10? I meant chapter 12. By the time we get to Revelation chapter 12, we're probably halfway through the tribulation period. The two witnesses in chapter 11 have witnessed for Christ for three and a half years. They have been killed. They have been raised from the dead. And they have ascended to heaven. Then in chapter 12 and verse 1, a great and wondrous sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on his head. On his heads. His tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that he might devour her child the moment it was born. She gave birth, she gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. The woman fled into the desert to a place prepared for her by God, where she might be taken care of for 1,260 days. There was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth. And his angels with him. Still have very few comments on the passage. Can't go into it in detail. But it's very obvious that the red dragon is none other than Satan, the devil. Clearly stated in the text. And I'm not going to give my reasons for it, but the woman probably is referring to the nation of Israel. The child, I think, is clearly referring to Christ. There's war in heaven. Michael and his angels fight against the dragon. and The dragon and his angels fought back, but not strong enough, so they lose their place in heaven. Let's look at verse 10. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power of the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers, who accuses them before our God day and night, has been hurled down. They have overcome him by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony. They did not love their life so much as to shrink from death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them, but to the earth and the sea. Because the devil is going down to you, he's filled with fury, because he knows that his time is short." And again, I think we're dealing with events in the tribulation period, the time after the church age. And there's people who have died. They didn't shrink back from death in light of verse 11. And we know that the enemy, Satan, is going to be defeated shortly after this passage. But I want you to notice in verse 10, towards the end of the verse, for the accuser of our brothers, who accuses them before Our God, day and night, has been hurled down. A reference to the enemy, a reference to Satan. Now you can listen if you want to turn there, you can. Go back to Job chapter 1. Job chapter 1 taking place years, many hundreds of years before the book of Revelation would have been written. And in Job chapter 1 in verse 6, One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, From roaming through the earth and going back and forth in it. The Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Now notice the next statement. Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied, Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But stretch out your hand and strike everything he has and he will surely curse you to your face. Satan accusing Does Job fear you for nothing? Have you not put a hedge around him? We know that Satan goes out and he takes Job's wealth. Job loses his children. the end of chapter 1 in all this Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing chapter 2 and verse 1 on another day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also came with them to present himself before him and the Lord said to Satan where have you come from Satan answered the Lord from roaming through the earth and going back and forth in it Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil, and he still maintains his integrity, though you incited me against him to ruin him without any reason. Skin for skin, Satan replied. A man will give all he has for his own life, but stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones, and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, very well, then he is in your hands, but you must spare his life. And then we can read on and we know that Satan went out and he attacked Job's body and he was in dire straits. But verse 10 at the end says, in all this, Job did not sin in what he said. The enemy, Satan, is accusing Job before God. God says, Satan, go ahead. He lost his wealth, he lost his children. His wife says, why don't you curse God and die? There's something about bodily suffering that is different than other types of suffering because you can't escape yourself. As Jen was sharing concerning shepherds, those people that have mental, limited mental capacities, they can't escape that. You can escape a relational difficulty by saying, I'm just walking away from it. You can escape into financial difficulty, maybe by filing bankruptcy or robbing a bank and not getting caught and paying off or whatever. But you can't escape the physical, the mental. And what's Job doing? He doesn't. Sin. But it goes back to the enemy, the enemy accusing Job. Let's go to the la- next to the last book in the Old Testament. The next to the last book in the Old Testament, Zechariah chapter 3. And again, I realize we're leaping into the context and we won't spend a lot of time on the context. But as Zechariah writes, and God is revealing himself to Zechariah, Zechariah shares chapter 3 and verse 1. Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right side to accuse him. The Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is, this not, a, is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? And again, we're not dealing with the context a lot this morning. But Satan standing at his right side to accuse him. we stop to consider that in our world today, in a spirit world that we don't see a lot of, the enemy is accusing believers before God. And that may be one reason that we struggle so in our world today with accusing others. In Galatians chapter 5, 13 through 15 Paul says to the Galatians, if you keep on biting one another, you end up devouring each other. In James 3, as we talked about last week, the tongue is set on fire by hell. James 3, the earthly wisdom that results in all kinds of relational difficulties. In Romans 8 and verse 33, in the context of Christ the Spirit having interceded, and then he goes on to say that Christ intercedes, who will bring a charge against those whom God has chosen? It's God, God who justifies. And then in 1 John chapter 2, John said, My dear children, I write this to you so that no one will sin, but if anyone does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Have you ever considered that as we sin, as we accuse one another, that the enemy accuses us before God? And that Jesus Christ, our lawyer, pleads our case. So we get into verbal squabbles in our world today. And what happens? There's tons of accusations aired. And if they're happening among believers, we may accuse one another. And in one case, if we get accused, we may be down on ourselves. We can go to Romans 8. God has justified us. The accusation doesn't stand. But when the enemy accuses us before God, our lawyer, our attorney, if you please, Jesus Christ, says, I paid the penalty for that individual's sin. I plead their case. But underneath all of that, underlying all of that, is the God of this world and his demons seeking to create an atmosphere in which there is all kinds of accusations being made. You don't have to watch a political spectrum for more than a couple minutes in an election year and realize that there's all kinds of accusations going on. Do you ever consider that the demonic is involved? The president, our Senate, our House, they have their share of contention. Have we considered that the demonic is there to accuse the president, to accuse the Senate, to accuse the House? Penn State situation. I can't believe how much coverage Penn State got and the accusations that took place. Oh, just one after another and speaking without even knowing the facts. Have we considered that the demonic is involved? The accuser of the brethren leads on believers as well as believers to accuse. Our county situation with 30-plus people indicted for things that were not correct and the accusations that have taken place have we considered the demonic is involved in our county you as a family husband and wife or parents and children get into squabble and you end up quarreling and accusing you always you never but the demonic is tempting the area in which we live in, and it's not limited to the greater Wyoming Valley. Believers may criticize and tear one another down. We consider that the demonic is involved. When was the last time you accused? If you considered that the demonic may be involved, not demonic possession, I'm not talking about that, but Temptation. We live in a world where Satan is the accuser of the brethren before God, and he seems to seek to lure believers and unbelievers to be accusers. In light of our discussion in the last few weeks, some characteristics of demonic activity, Satan activity, unbelievers blinded concerning the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. We talk to unbelievers and we say, they just don't get it. As we discussed a number of weeks ago, the enemy blinds. That should be rule-oriented, not role-oriented. Rule-oriented religions in contrast to the relationship. You've got all these rules you've got to keep. First Timothy 4 Another one would be tied in with number two is false teachers. False teachers, indicating demonic. Teaching that forbids people to marry and to abstain from certain foods. First Timothy chapter four, as we looked at several weeks ago. Demonic tongue at fought, where we curse, where people curse and hurt others. Bitter envy, selfish ambition. Thus, disorder and every evil practice, demonic, fighting, quarreling relationships involving slander, which shows one as a friend of the world, coming from James chapter 4. We didn't look at the passage this morning, but just practicing sin, that which is missing the point of life, a relationship with God than individuals accusing others. Jesus cast out a legion of demons. And I think there's some implications that we probably need to stop at times and say, Satan is the God of this world. He is at work in light of some of the things that we had on the wall concerning demonic activity. But in the midst of that, God has given the believer two resources, two relationships. In the world, they're both important. He's given us Christ, written and living Christ. Living Christ is at the right hand of God now, and the written Christ, Scripture, to live in the world in which we live, where there are false teachers, where accusations seem to abound. He's our life. But he's also given us the body of Christ, other believers. And I would pose a question in the context of other believers. And in light of the demonic and some things that I've mentioned in the last couple weeks, some of us battle emotionally. Some of us battle, battle mentally. Some of us might battle physically. We're much freer to talk about that. We may be somewhat free to talk about relational struggles or financial struggles. But how many parents over the years have had a child that may struggle intellectually or emotionally and they carry that alone because it's not something we talk about. So I can say to someone I'm going to the hospital tomorrow and I'm going to have a skull tumor removed. I'm not going to but I could have said that a number of years ago before I had a skull tumor removed. Pray for me. But we're slow to say, you know, I'm going to have an, I'm having panic attacks. I don't know what they are and I don't understand them. Will you pray for me? People look at you, panic attack. You must be loony. A parent saying to someone else, "My child will never learn like another child. Will you pray for me?" See, we tend to put certain things in certain categories. But God has given us the body, the body of Christ to minister in those situations. And I mentioned this before. I remember very distinctly being at Geisinger North Hospital, taking Ruth Ann there, not knowing what was going on. She thought she was going berserk, I guess. I thought maybe she was too. And the doctor's saying, I'm not sure what's going on. There's really nothing wrong that I can treat. Take her home. Come to find out, she was having a panic attack. So did I feel free, and did Ruth and I feel free to give some of the church leaders a call and say, come on over to our house. We just want you to know we're dealing with something we really don't understand. We're dealing with a panic attack. We want you to pray for us. We carried that probably far too long ourselves because it's not something the body needs to know. But that's not true. So someone is schizophrenic, bipolar, ADHD. Do we call someone from the church over and say, will you pray for me, minister to me, we're a body? We live in Satan's world, but in Christ, we have the resources to deal with this. Will you carry this with me as a body? God has given us Christ, a relationship with Christ. Living and written Christ and the body of Christ to live in this world with false teaching, with accusations, with all kinds of hassles that we have, that we can build one another up and minister to one another. But so often we're tempted to hide. But God wants us to encourage and minister to one another and build each other up. And as we think about our interaction with God's word, we want to sing two songs together as we close our service.